certainly has been a, uh, a tough year for us in our children's and student ministries. And I want to encourage all of us to know that this letter that we just heard from Dina is still living. I think sometimes we, we hear stories and, and want to put a period on it and, and she shared, but this is so very real. So we have lots of opportunity in the future to come alongside and to continue to pray and to continue to care. On its own, without the difficulties that we've had this year, this is not the most favorite time of year for me. Uh, High school graduation season is is difficult for a high school pastor. I've yet to have a class at Lake Avenue Church that I was excited to see move on. I think that might be the difference between a youth pastor and teachers. But every year at this time, it becomes more and more difficult for me. We have a graduation tonight, Flint Ridge Prep. Friday, we have Arcadia High School. We've already graduated Maranatha, LaSalle. And as I go to these graduations, I just get really sad. Because there's something really unnatural about walking life with somebody intimately for four years. Watching students like Solomon grow and mature, not just physically, but to grow in their faith in Christ. To watch them become and to start form into these, these, these adults. And then this hard line of graduation comes and they're graduated and then they're kind of done and then we go to Catalina next weekend and get a bunch of freshmen and I'm supposed to just love them. And it's really hard because these students have become part of our lives. And my life as a follower of Christ and as a human in this world is changed dramatically by each student and by each encounter I have over the course of many years with them. And as I sit in these graduation services and reflect upon each student and reflect upon which one I wish I would have known better or, or I can't believe they're going to this college or whatever it would be, I get kind of reflective of my own high school experience too. And in high school, the way it worked at Ventura High School, public high school in Ventura, California, the valedictorian did not give the graduation speech. But whoever the student body president was, they gave the graduation speech. So if it was about grades, there's no way I had a chance at it. So I was the student body president, and they gave me four minutes to give a speech to my class. And I had written a speech, and it had been approved, and and the whole nine. And then a couple days before it was time for graduation, I just really sensed that maybe I needed to change some parts of the speech. A girl that we had grown up with uh, throughout all of my life, she had become pregnant the week before graduation, started to hear stories about where different people were going to school, and I started thinking, like, I wonder if I'm ever going to see some of these people again. And if that's true, what is the most important things that I would want to share with them? And so as a senior in high school about ready to graduate and give this speech, I had an order in my youth pastor's house, and we kind of rewrote some parts together. And there are two pieces of video footage from me under 25 years old, because we were poor. And um, so it was me on The Price is Right, standing up there the entire time, not winning a thing, but got a wicker low-boy table as a parting gift that the taxes cost more than the actual table on. But I want it for you, baby. Um, And then my high school graduation speech. So if we were in high school this morning or just this time of year, which high school is with us, we would be watching this speech. So we're going to watch it this morning. So here you go. When we leave here today, 
we will face circumstances that will impact our lives. These circumstances will allow us to make decisions, and these decisions can be constructive or destructive in our world. It is time for us to decide today and now. We must decide what kind of person we want to be. We live in a world that is falling to the temptations of life. We must decide whether or not we are going to choose to help our society or we're going to watch and add to the destruction of our world. It's time to decide. Are we going to break the laws of this country or are we going to make laws to benefit and assure the safety for our future children and grandchildren? We must take a stand now and attempt to solve our problems. It's time to decide. The word effective is defined as producing a desired effect. Producing does not just happen. We must plant seeds today to grow effective communities tomorrow. Are we going to own our neighborhoods when we live in them? Are we going to assure safety for our family and friends? Or are we going to whine and gripe about how bad it is and how bad it's going to get? We cannot sit back and complain and watch our world die. We need to be a proactive people. We need to learn to serve. We need to learn not to whine. It's time to decide. We need something to drive our emotions. We need to have something or somebody to serve. We live in a society that only serves themselves. Are we going to serve ourselves or are we going to serve others? But what does it mean to serve? To understand serve, we must understand the ultimate servant. To understand the ultimate servant, we must know Jesus Christ, who spent his life serving us. I have chosen to follow this servant. Who are you going to serve? We have all heard the Reebok cliche, life is short, play hard. We must change that to life is short, serve hard. We need to stop looking to the easy task of playing and learn to sacrifice and learn to serve hard. It is time to decide. Friends, the task that lies in front of our generation is not easy. It will not just happen. It's going to be hard. We cannot do it with broken homes, single mothers, drug and alcohol abuse, child abuse, and no fathers for our children. If you sit here today and call yourself a man, when the day comes to father your children, do it. Raise your children. Be there for your children, men. It is time for you to decide. We must all find our purpose in life. We need to find what we were made to do. We cannot be fixed on money. Money does not equal happiness. If we get money, if we are fortunate to have money, we need to learn to give back. We cannot add to the me, myself, and I society that we live in. We need to learn to give back. It is time to decide. Life will bring many trials our way. Some we will lose and hard things will come our way. But if we have something we love to do, something or somebody we love to serve, something that displays our purpose and an attitude that leaves room for us to radically change the world we live in, then we will understand true success. In closing, I do not wish for anyone here to have fancy jobs. I do not wish for anyone here to have many cars, houses, paychecks. I don't wish that for you. I don't wish that you have fame. What I do wish is that we become a class of integrity. 
I wish we become a class of conviction. We become a class that has direction. A class that knows where it's going and how it's going to get there. We need to be a class that cares, that knows our purpose, and cares about being positive adults in the world we will live in. It is time for all of us to decide. Good luck. <laughs> Let's close in prayer. <laughs> All right, let's close in prayer. It was a tough night. I thought if I just shoot, showed that, we'd be done. So, uh, But seriously, I had walked life with this group of people for years. And the question that was burning inside of me is if I just had one opportunity, I felt like I had one opportunity to share the most important things with them, knowing that I might not ever see some of them again. Knowing that we had had these intimate encounters together through, through grade school, through middle school, and now through high school, and that we were coming to the end of something, and, and we were scattering throughout the country, scattering to different lives, and something inside of me wanted to share with them the most important thing I could, what was important to me. In the book of Ephesians, Paul, Paul is writing to a group of people that he had spent three years with, and he's writing to them from prison. And he's writing to them about the most important things to him. He takes his opportunity to write in the book of Ephesians about the most important things. And this morning, we're going to look at what those things are. Will you pray with me? God, this morning, would you allow each one of us to hear from your word? God, for many of us, we have heard these verses, we have heard these words over and over again in our life. And so we ask you this morning, living God, to breathe life into these words. That each one of us, no matter where we stand with you and our journey with you, we would encounter you this morning. That we would sense the urgency, that we would sense the, the excitement, that we would ex sense and experience what your Apostle Paul would have to say to us even today. Help us, God. Give us ears to hear you. Give us eyes to see you this morning. Amen. If you'd like to open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2 and stand with us as we read the reading of God's Word, we'll be in verse 19. Ephesians 2, starting in verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Book of Ephesians. Some background. The city was Ephesus. And in Ephesus, uh, it was one of the largest cities in the world. It was a multi-ethnic city, very present in the city, a large Jewish population and a large Gentile population. The gospel came to Ephesus through Paul's second missionary journey. And when Paul brought the gospel to Ephesus, he stayed with them for three years. And there was this collection of house churches throughout Ephesus. 
Just this collection of groups of people who believed in Christ who would gather and they would be considered a church as they gathered. Paul's writing to this church now and is an extremely large Gentile audience that he's speaking to. The authorship, like we said, the Apostle Paul, he spent three years with the church. He's currently on house arrest in Rome. He writes a series of letters around the same time. Colossians, Titus, Ephesians, they all kind of came out of the same, same time and, and the same deliverer. The major themes of Ephesians, reconciliation, the inclusion of Gentiles, the unity of believers, the regeneration of believers, and this new identity through Christ. And we're going to talk about that new identity. Before what we just read in verse 19, there's some interesting stuff Paul's already discussed with the Ephesians. Previously, he's talked about a couple of things, and I am summarizing them very quickly, but they're really good. He's talking about two relationships so far. He's talking about the relationship that we as humanity have with God, and he's talking about the relationship that humanity has with one another. And so when it says the shared human experience, Paul spends a good amount of time talking about that we all, as humans, no matter who we are, what ethnicity we are, Jew or Gentile, we are all sinners. And left to our own, we are all uh, deserving and separate from God. We have this shared human experience of depravity, this shared human experience that separates us from being in right relationship with God. And then he talks about this shared gift of grace. And because we all are shared in this human experience of sin and separation, through Christ, we also have this shared gift of grace. This idea that through Christ, what used to separate us from God no longer separates us. And that no matter who we are, Jew or Gentile, even though we're all equal or deserving of sin through grace, we all have access to have that right relationship with God. So there's a change in the the way humans relate to the divine. Separate to being able to be with. And then he talks about these old divisions. And these old divisions are about the divisions between people. And that there used, to be a, there used to be a time where Jew and Gentile, just the ethnic issue there, that would be grounds enough to live very differently. That Gentiles used to never have access to God. That Gentiles had a different place in the temple. That Gentiles had a different kind of relationship with God than Jews would. And then he talks about through Christ, that these old divisions are no more, and there's this new joined identity. That what used to separate people from people no longer separates people from people. But through Christ, Jew and Gentile, we, they come together and there's this new joined identity and we're, what was is no more. Because we are now this family and we're going to look at that in a moment. So real, what we have in Ephesians 2, 19 through 22 is Paul beginning to paint a picture of what the church is in light of the change of the relationship with God and in light of the change of the relationship that humans can have with one another. And in verse 19 through 22, we have Paul beginning to paint this picture. And it's really interesting that he uses the idea of a building, that he uses the idea of a house. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people, and listen to this, and members of God's household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. 
In these verses, Paul begins to paint this picture for us of what it looks like to be this new identity people. And he does three things. He does three things that I want to point out. He does way more than three, but three for this morning. He talks about the foundation. He says first that scripture is the foundation. When he says in verse 20 that our foundation is built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets. It's a really nice way of saying that our foundation in this new identity has to be the scripture. Has to be the Bible. That, that what, what we're going to start building upon only can be built upon with the truth of God's word. And, and I think sometimes there's a lot of us who are sitting here. Yes, okay, now keep going, Jeff. But like, I really want to just pause on this for a moment. That the very first thing that he talks about is the foundation and the foundation needing to be the scriptures. I think a lot of us hear that and we would say amen, like yes, especially here at Lake Avenue Church with the rich tradition we have as a church that believes in the scriptures and that, and that tries our best to, to live a life that the scriptures call. But the reality is, I don't know about you, but as a pastor, it's pretty hard to live letting the scriptures truly be the foundation of my life. Like that's an easy thing, it's a much easier thing to say the scriptures are foundational than it is to live the scriptures are foundational. And the Bible wasn't written, and I'm pretty sure that the intent of this whole thing isn't that we just intellectually know that the scriptures need to be foundational. The point of all knowing anything is that we actually live the scriptures are foundational in our life. And when we do that, it's really difficult. Like it's really hard to live the life that God proclaims in this Bible, at least for me. Because that means every time Jenny and I look at our money... Or we hear of a need, and if I'm following what this says and letting it be foundational in my life, then that dictates this way of generosity that is proclaimed throughout the Scripture. It proclaims a way I, I interact with people who look lonely, who people are homeless, people who live a life radically different from me. There are not very many situations, I would probably say none, that, that the Scripture doesn't speak to. And yet to follow through on that and to live like that is extremely difficult. And for most of us, it takes our whole lifetime to continue to try and to adapt and to be more and more like Christ. It is really hard to live in this idea that the Scripture is foundational. Much easier to live it here than to live it in our lives. So as Paul begins to paint this picture of what the church is in light of this new identity, I don't think, I don't want to skip over the fact that he's saying the scripture needs to be the foundation. He develops it even a little bit more when he says, and Christ is the cornerstone with Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. So we have this foundation that's built from the scriptures and from the Bible, and then the, this cornerstone that, that begins to shape what this building is going to look like is on Christ himself. Meaning that, that yes, the scriptures are foundational, but through the scriptures we have this, this, this Savior and this God who begins to, to, to emerge as the living Christ, and he is central, the chief cornerstone, to what is going to be built upon. The look of the building, the, the vibe of the building, the, 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 what the building is going to be is, is because of the foundation on Scripture and then having Christ as the cornerstone. I've been to a few churches that can get really excited about parts of the Bible and, and not really excited about Christ. So Paul isn't just using words here. The picture he's beginning to make for all of us is the scripture is the corner as the foundation. Christ is the cornerstone. And this is the part where I get really excited. 
And as this building becomes to be formed, this new family emerges. Look at the language. He talks about God's household, that we're no longer separate, but we're being joined together. We're being built together. Throughout the scripture, we can read about this family language, brother and sister, that as we come together for the Ephesians, Jew and Gentile, we become this new family. And it's a family in which the things that used to separate people from people don't separate. So age, ethnicity, gender, how long you've been a Christian, how long you haven't been... All of those things, we come together and we're and off the foundation and Christ is the cornerstone, we become this building, the church. And I don't think that the family language is, is, is just what he had. I mean, I think it's very intentional. And if it's true that when we come together in this place, Lake Avenue Church, we come together different ages, different ethnicities, and we're being joined together as we proclaim Scripture as our foundation, Christ as our cornerstone, and as we become built together, and if we're really a family, then we really need to start thinking about how we might be interacting as family. Stick with me for a moment. Think about a Christmas morning. Christmas morning with a large family. So if you don't have a large family... Um, just pretend you're in the Brady Bunch for a moment. Christmas morning, large family, multiple sets of, you know, both sets of grandparents, large extended family, and they're coming together and they're meeting up at this big cabin for Christmas with lots of rooms for everybody. Christmas Eve comes and people start coming to the cabin. And as they enter the cabin, all the grandparents get there at one time. And all those grandparents, they walk upstairs and they have their own little room upstairs. And they're going to go, they're just going to hang out there for the next couple of days. Just the grandparents up in the room, open their presents, do their thing up there. And then all the kids from, from the time they're like two years old to five years old, we've got a spot for them too. And so we're going to put them in a room downstairs and we may hire somebody like a babysitter or something to be with them for a little bit. They're going to do Christmas over there. Teenagers, nobody really wants to be with teenagers. So they're in the garage and, uh, just hanging out in the garage. And then all the parents, you know, parents 40 and under, they're in one spot and then parents 40 and over, they're in another spot. Like you and I would hear, if we were sitting with somebody and said, describe what Christmas was like for your family, and they would begin to explain something like that, we would all just go, that is really dysfunctional. And yet I would, I would say to you very humbly this morning that that is how this family at this church functions most of the time. That as we walk into this place to worship God, we just separate out. There's a richness that comes from my life as a 31-year-old man as I walk life with high school students and watch them come to faith and my faith is encouraged and my faith is stretched. There's the same richness that comes from my life when a few of the faithful members of the older generation of this church take me to breakfast occasionally and we just talk. My faith is encouraged. My life, is, my understanding of God is expanded. I have a great vantage point as somebody in this church who gets to interact with people who live in different ages than my own demographic. But far too often in this place and many churches, we just keep separating people out by age to where we never really interact with one another. And I'm pretty sure that as we look at what the most important things are to Paul... And as he writes in this image of this building coming together and the foundation and the cornerstone, I don't sense that we're going to, he's just talking about popping up little tiny buildings with, with different kinds of people. Now, I'm not saying that there's not an appropriateness to, to being with 
your own affinity group. I think that's valuable. But I wonder for us as a church family, if we really believe that the the scripture's talking about this family identity, that we have this new formed family identity together, if that's true, we need to look at what that looks like for us. And I would suggest to you that we just would maybe adopt a couple family values as a church family. The first family value is, is, is just acknowledgement of one another. That we would just begin to acknowledge that there's other people in this church who are different and in a different age than we are. A few years ago, uh, before, when we were in this interim time as a church family, uh, we got invited, uh, Albert Tate and I got invited to bring a group of people to Fuller. They had this Connect Four Intergenerational Faith, uh, Intergenerational uh, Ministries Conference. And we're sitting there, we had a couple parents, we had some high school students, Tim Scheidler brought some people from elementary, and we were sitting there, and there was uh, the first speaker of the day was a senior pastor of San Clemente Presbyterian Church, and he's written this great book, I like the title, it's called It Takes a Church to Raise a Christian. So I stole it, but I emailed him, don't worry. And Todd Bolsinger, a senior pastor of San Clemente Press, has began to share what intergenerational ministry looked like in their church, what they were wrestling with, what they were trying to do. He said something that morning that stuck with every single one of us from Lake Avenue Church when he said, I don't want the kids and the teenagers of our church to see me as their parents' pastor. I want them to see me as their pastor, too. So the group of us that were there, we, we were debriefing that and we're sitting outside this place at Fuller and we're praying that maybe, just maybe, the next senior pastor we have would think similarly. About three weeks ago, Greg and Chris Waybright had 30 of our graduating high school students up at their home on a Sunday night for dinner in which over the course of the, the many hours we were there, They went through each person, got to know their name, found out what they were doing next year, offered personal encouragement to each one, told them at the end of the night that no matter where they go to school, that Lake Avenue is always their church and that they can always call, they can always email. Friends, there is something changing here because the things that are, that have divided us for a long time, there's a conversation emerging that we just simply need to acknowledge one another. And what that would do for us as a church family, for our teenagers, for you to acknowledge the older generation of this church, and for all of us else to acknowledge the presence of kids and teenagers and to see them as valuable, valuable enough to get a hello and a handshake from all of us. I I would suggest that a very simple thing all of us can do is just begin to acknowledge one another. Beyond that, that we would offer affirmation to one another. This might require a step beyond. That might require a conversation to know a little bit about somebody so that we can offer affirmation to them. In a very amount of short, a short amount of time, I could sit with Solomon and tell you some, some highlights about his life so that the next time I saw Solomon, I could ask him about something. There's more and more research showing that for, for a teenager and for kids that they need a numerous amount of adults who know their name, who know them enough to offer excitement and encouragement in their lives. That this notion that a lot of us have, if we just get them into youth group and give them a small group leader, then they're set. It, it's significant, but we need lots of adults to know who our kids are. We were at a function a couple of weeks ago for one of our graduating seniors and their family is faithful members of this church and they're part of a, a, a Bible study with lots of other couples. 
And they had this night in which the senior was being honored for graduating high school. And all of the couples that are in that Bible study were present. And each one of those couples had a role in that kid's life. All of those couples, and this wasn't their kid, cared about the accomplishment of this student. We need to be a church where we not only acknowledge one another, but we find opportunities to affirm one another and to know one another. Finally, most importantly, we need to find ways as a church to be alongside one another. And I don't know what that looks like. I would hope that what we do here on Sunday morning, Saturday night, this would be a place where when we come into worship, we're alongside all of us. No matter our age, no matter where we are, that we would find a home and a family within this place. That's a really hard conversation. Because when we begin to want to be alongside one another, we have to recognize that other people are in the room. And there's things like, I don't know, that might divide us like music or the way some of us dress. Like those are things we need to talk about. But the reality is until we're alongside one another, I believe we're not becoming this building that Paul is talking about. You know, we don't exist, Albert and I and Dina and all of our ministries, we do not exist. Our main focus isn't to have the biggest and funnest and one most wonderful, I know it's not a word, Jenny, uh, best youth group in Pasadena. We're not looking to be the best show in town. We're looking to make disciples that in 10 years you would find any student went through our ministry and they would still be falling in love with Christ, that they would still be walking with Christ, that they would be taking their faith very seriously. That's what we're trying to do. And friends, it's really hard to do if we're the only ones that ever interact with them. We've got to find ways to really be a church together. Overwhelming majority of students that graduate high school that are active in youth group go off to college and never step back into their church, maybe when they have kids someday. That's a statistic that haunts me as a youth pastor, but that is a statistic that should haunt us as a church too. And it should cause each one of us to ask, as a member of this family, what am I doing to ensure that this is a place that kids belong That teenagers know this is their home. And we need to begin to have some conversations that take down the fear of that and the the expectation that we just, the, the youth ministry is the one that takes care of them. No, the church, we're the church together. It is difficult to be in a family, period, and it's even more difficult to be in a family the size of ours with the history of ours. But it's a good family. And lest you leave here and think that I'm just, you know, really sad. There are, these things are happening. Told you the story of this family and their teenager graduating. Many of you know Gil and Carrie Gazanian, who upon receiving a letter when their son Peter was a freshman in high school from the high school ministry saying, we need leaders. They said, the next four years we won't be going to our Sunday school class because the youth ministry needs us. And they spent four years walking life with high school students and they were so in love with high school students that once they graduated high school, they recognized that there was no college ministry going on in this church. And they said, let's do a college ministry. You can use our house. And now they are like part of this movement within our church that is caring for college students. There's, there's a great woman in our choir who brings her neighbor, the, the neighbor boy every Sunday to this place. And this church has become a place that cares about him and loves him. 
There are stories like this all over our congregation, but we need to begin to start telling them together and letting those stories shape us and letting those stories not be just like little bonus stories out on the side, but those stories become central to what we do at this church. Why? Because we want to be a church where we're being built together, where we're being joined together, where we all walk life together. We're going to do something this morning. Sandrine, who's finishing up her freshman year of high school, she's going to be singing a song. And then Jesse Oaks and Courtney Hodge are our assistants in high school. They're on staff. So Courtney's not in high school. She's 25. Um, They're going to sing a song. And during this first chorus, I would just ask just to, to reflect. And what, is, what, what, what might be God saying to you about your role as a family member in this church? What's, an area, what's something you can do? And then they're going to sing a chorus and I'll come back up and we're going to give you an opportunity to take an immediate step. So just enjoy this um, and, and we'll be right back up.